Pentecostal Church. My name is Pastor Joel. I'm the senior pastor here. And if you are visiting with us this morning, we're so glad to have you here this morning. And for some of you, you have an innate ability to get into church and get out of church without me being able to get your name. So for some of you, I am going to be approaching you this morning, so would I, I, could I beg an indulgence this morning from uh, you guys as a lovely congregation to allow me to enable to make a beeline towards some of the people here in church that I haven't been able to, to, uh, haven't been able to secure their name. I've been here over a year now, and there's some of you that I don't know your names. And so what I've been doing is I've been taking my phone, and I've been taking pictures of you. Some of you don't like that, but the reason there's a method to my madness, it's so that before church, I can look over the list. Okay, okay, this person's name is this. I think it's very important that when you see somebody, you call them by their name. And there's some of you, especially our Filipinas, I want to know you by name. I don't want to call you just sister. I want to be able to call you by name. And there's others of you. You guys are precious to me. And I want to make sure that I'm calling you by name. That's so important. And so if you would please allow me the indulgence of taking your picture, and then I'll put your name under there. That's so that I can get to know who you are so that I can be calling you by name. All right? I just love it. Love having you guys here. Love having you spend uh, the Christmas season with us. And... Um, after, after the Christmas season, or after the Christmas Eve service, Beck and I will be going on some holiday, and we'll be going to Thailand and spending a few days sitting on the beach and doing nothing. And so uh, we are, are looking forward to it. It's been quite a long jaunt since uh, August, and so we're, we're looking forward to some, some break here coming up. But again, just it is an absolute joy and a pleasure to be your pastor and to present God's Word to you. That, I don't take that lightly. And what I want to share with you this morning is so important. Because we've been talking and we've been talking about the issue of hope throughout our Advent season. Hope, God's gift for you. And as we, as we uh, think about our society, we live in kind of a hope-soul world, don't we? Let me give you some hope-souls. I hope I will be a, get admitted into that college. I hope I will get that job. I hope I won't get fired. I hope I'll get married. I hope my spouse will be faithful to me. I hope I'll get noticed. I hope we can afford. I hope we can find. I hope I won't be found out. In America, this is a big one. I hope my team will win. And I hope we'll make it through. We live in a hope-so world, but the biblical idea is not hope-so. It's no-so. As we open the scriptures today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is writing to a decidedly Jewish audience. And this Jewish audience, he's writing to them to make them understand, to help them understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that God had been talking about all throughout history. He is the coming king. So when you open up Matthew's gospel, you'll find a lot of, a lot of prophecy. As you look at the account of, from, uh, from Matthew's viewpoint, you'll see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, especially concerning the birth of Christ. Matthew's account gives us the birth of Christ from Joseph's side. Luke gives us the account of the birth of Christ from Mary's side. And, uh, and Matthew, in showing us that Jesus is king, begins with the genealogy. Now, please, for some of us, we think, we look at the genealogy, it's like, please, next page. I don't want to even, whoa. Maybe next year, there's a sermon series on the genealogy of Christ because 
there in that genealogy are four women that are named. Unheard of. Unheard of in a genealogy. But he shows Jesus to be a true king. And he shows the lineage of Christ. But then he moves into the story of Joseph. And Joseph is faced with a scandal. Joseph is faced with a, with a, with a circumstance that happens. He finds out that Mary, his betrothed, is pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. And he has to make an incredibly difficult decision. But in the midst of that decision, and in the midst of that decision-making process, God asks him to choose another path. There were three ways, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. There were three ways. God said, asks him to consider a fourth. And this fourth way will, will involve him to absolutely put his trust and his hope in God. Not just for a little while. But for the rest of his life, we call it, as we work through experiencing God, we call it a crisis of belief. He will come to that place where he will know what it is that God has said. And he will know what it is that God is asking him to do. And the next thing that he does determines what it is that he believes about God. Remember, when you face a crisis of belief, it requires action and faith on your part. And we will see those. Joseph is left with one thing. His sure and certain hope in Christ. His sure and certain hope, not just in Christ, but in God. And there will come times in our life when we are faced, and that's all that we have. Our sure and certain hope in God. Because we know what it is that God has called us to. And it doesn't make sense to the world. But we know that this is what God has called us to. And so we move in obedience and in faith to that. Sometimes God puts us in positions where we realize that all we have is God. And God does that so that we will realize that all that we need is God. This is Joseph. Father in heaven, thank you. What a privilege it is to share the truth and the word of God with your people. Lord, thank you for bringing Beck and I here. And allowing us to become part of a family of believers from all over the world. And God, as we come before your word, you are a God who speaks all of our languages. You are a God who knows each and every one of us in, intently and intimately. You deeply care about those things that we are walking through right now. And Lord, you know that for some of us, we are standing at crossroads of what are we going to do. We know what it is that you've called us to do. And yet, God, to do that, not only may it not make sense, but it goes against our culture. And God, I pray that as we hear your word, Holy Spirit, that you will be the one that speaks to hearts. You will take the words that you have given to your servant and you will cause them to come to life in our lives. For some, there will be words of encouragement. For others, they will be words of challenge. But Lord, I pray in all of it, they will be words that bring glory to you. Holy Spirit, come now. Anoint this time. Allow the word to be easily understood across all languages. And may glory and honor be brought to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In reading from Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the way this begins. Uh, let me read verse 19 as well. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Matthew's account gives us, Matthew's account gives the account of Jesus' birth from Joseph's viewpoint. But in the whole, as we're talking this morning, keep in the back of your mind what must have been going on in Mary's heart. We get Mary's, Mary's viewpoint in Luke's gospel. But keep in mind what must be going on in, Mar- in Mary's heart during this time. It says that, it says that, um, bef- it says, this is how the birth of Christ came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. It pledged to be married. That's a betrothal. We, we don't talk much about that today. I don't know if our, uh, some of our Indian brothers and sisters or our African brothers and sisters that are here this morning, if, if they have a betrothal c- ceremony. In, in Jewish culture, there were two ceremonies that you had. The first was the betrothal. That's where the two sides came together. The, the bride's family and the, and the husband's family would come together. And they would dicker over the price of, of the bride. What was to be given, what was not to be given. You know, and they would go back and forth over that. When that was finally decided, the groom would take a cup of wine. And the cup of wine would be offered to him. And he would take that cup of wine and he would take a drink from that cup of wine. And then he would take that cup of wine and he would hand it to his, to his future wife. And if she accepted the cup of wine, she was saying, I accept you. You see a very similar ceremony happening at the Last Supper. This cup is the new cup in my covenant as Jesus hands them the cup. And then the groom would have said, if the bride received that cup, She was saying, I receive you. I will take you to be my husband. And if she took that cup, the bridegroom would say to her, I go to prepare a place for you. Where have you heard that before? John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus, as he's preparing to leave, he has just said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Those were the words of the bridegroom to the bride. It was part of the betrothal ceremony. And in the eyes of all involved, that couple was married, except for, and here because we have many children in our midst this morning, I'm going to make it very, very G-rated. They did not live together, nor did they consummate the marriage. So imagine now they are betrothed and what is the very next thing that it says? It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Before she came together, scandalous, scandalous. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. And, And we know, Matthew gives us the account. He tells us why she's with child. Joseph doesn't have a clue. He doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know that this child is the product of what the Holy Spirit has done. And Joseph, in his mind, he, is, he finds out. He would have found out. You know, it, it's interesting. Nazareth is a small, was a small, dusty town in the northern part of Galilee, the northern part of Israel. We don't even quite know where it is today. It was so in, insignificant. And the people of that time said, Nazareth, what, what good can ever come out of Nazareth? But it's in this little city of Nazareth that that. 
God sent one of his angels and he says to Mary that you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're going to be with child. It's going to be from the Holy Spirit and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And she's in a small town. Now, some of you have come from small towns. It's hard to keep things a secret in a small town, isn't it? Especially a pregnancy. It is something about the, the women uh, who, who've had a child. They kind of look at you and it's like, Ah, you're a little green around the gills. What's going on? Are you, could, could it possibly be? How do you hide the morning sickness? How do you hide when your shape begins to change? And all of a sudden it is found out that Mary is pregnant. Understanding, for us especially here in this part of the world, we live in an honor and shame society, don't we? America, we don't live in that kind of society. Africa, many places there as well. The Middle East especially. You do everything in your power to not bring about shame upon your family. And when it is found out that Mary is pregnant and Joseph is not the father, can you imagine the range of emotions that must have been going on in Joseph's heart? Devastation. Absolute devastation. Everything he had been looking forward to in his life, everything that he'd been doing up to this point, looking forward to that day when he would stand under the, uh, oh, what is it, the chutzpah, and, and they, would, they, would, they would be married. And all of this is gone. Why? Because Mary is pregnant. His, all of his dreams of becoming a, becoming a husband and loving Mary and having children and, and carrying on that ancestry it was gone. As well, I imagine there was great sadness in his heart. Because we know from Joseph's actions that he dearly loved Mary. And I'll get to that in a second. But also, he was mad. When it says that in verse 20, that after he had considered these things, the root word, and that word considers thumos. It's heat. It was fuming. He had to, I mean, you run the gamut of emotions. But in the midst of that time, in the midst of all of that emotion, is how are we going to deal with the shame? Because not only would Mary, here again, think about Mary in the midst of, she knows the truth. She knows the truth. Elizabeth will know the truth. And Joseph will believe the truth that God gives in a moment. Can you imagine the shame? The shame upon Joseph's family. That, you know, what are you going to do now with this, with this girl who has shamed your name? She was betrothed to you in the eyes of all in the village. She was, she was considered your son's wife. How are you going to remove the shame? And now go over to the other side for Mary. Can you imagine the shame there? I've been reading. It's interesting how God dovetails what it is that you're preaching on and what it is that you're reading. This week I was uh, in Pastor Stan's office and I saw a, a volume on his, on, there was a row of books behind him and I thought, ah, oh, that's interesting. I pulled it off of there. It's the, uh, it's the uh, account of Nabil uh, Qureshi. He was here. He preached in this church a number of years ago. It's how he came to Christ. And he talked about a cousin of his. He said he was quite young. And he said they were shooshed upstairs to, the, to their bedrooms. But he snuck down because all day long something had been going on in the house. And the kids were not privy to what it was that was going on. 
And finally, they, they shooshed the kids off to bed, but he snuck down, and he, and he sat above, and he listened to the conversation. And there was a semicircle of, of elders, and in the middle of that semicircle, there was one of his older cousins with her head down. And finally, one of the elders said to her, Are you pure? To which her mother snapped, Of course she's pure! And they said, We didn't ask you, we asked her, Are you pure? She said, yes. And they said, what on earth are you doing? Even thinking about having a relationship with someone who's not a Muslim. The man that she was looking at dating, or that she said that she deeply loved, was a man who was a Hindu. And they said, you can't do this. It would shame the family. And then he proceeded to talk about the things that his mother said to this, this his cousin. And I think that's a modern day account of what something like that would look like. Can you imagine what it must have looked like for Mary? The, the shame that it had brought on the family. Mary knows the truth, but the family members don't. All they know is the shame that they bear, especially Mary's father. Because Mary's father would have been expected when that betrothal ceremony happened and everything was done. The expectation was that on the wedding night, on the wedding night, her father would present to Joseph a virgin bride. And they had a whole ceremony that, that assured that she would be a virgin. And so the shame comes not only upon Mary, but it also comes upon the family. Who's going to remove the shame? Who's going to remove the shame? And, and, and it says that, that Joseph was a, was a righteous man. And I think those first people reading Matthew's gospel, that Jewish audience that he wrote to in the first place, they would have said, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but well, whose righteousness? The righteousness of the Pharisees or the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God means that doing the right thing before God no matter what the cost. Joseph was a righteous man, and as we're going to see, he's going to be willing to do whatever it is that God calls him to do no matter the cost. Joseph is a righteous man, but there's, there's one, of, one of three options. The first option is uh, public stoning. They would have taken her out to the city. They would have, there would have been a place, a, a depression that she would have been made to stand in, and the stones would have begun to fly. Not just by Joseph's family. That's the hard one. She, would have been, she could have been publicly stoned. Second way that would, to deal with it would have been to publicly humiliate. In an honor and shame culture, especially in the Middle East, it was probably one of the two, one of the first two. Because honor had to be restored to the name. And they would have publicly humiliated, taken her out into the middle square and they would have publicly humiliated her. Why? Remove the shame from Joseph's family. But where would the shame have stayed for the rest of their life? Over here in Mary's family. And Joseph being not only a righteous man, but you can see the love of Joseph. He doesn't want to do either. It says, after he had considered this, after he had considered what? He had considered to to privately divorce her. That was the only way out of a betrothal, was divorce. And you better have a really good reason to break the betrothal. 
There was honor and shame involved in that. Who's going to remove the shame? And Joseph has a dilemma. And Joseph, it says, when he considered all of these things, I think he'd come to that conclusion, this is what I'm going to do. I will privately and quietly divorce her. But it says that when he had considered this, Joseph moved from a dilemma, he moves now to a dream. After he considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God had a fourth option for Joseph. And he said he had appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Why would Joseph be afraid? It's interesting that he would come out with that. Why would he be afraid? Remember, go back to the whole thing of honor and shame. Joseph would carry. If Joseph comes through and does what it is that God calls him to do and takes Mary home to be his wife, he will not just bear that shame for a little while. He will bear that for the rest of his life. And not only will he bear that, but can you imagine the relationship with Nabil Qureshi going on with his testimony when he finally told his parents, he said his father looked at him and said, it's like as though you've taken my backbone out. And his mother said, looked at him and she said, you're my firstborn son, you're my only son, or you're my son, you're my only son. She said, what you've done to me today just destroyed me. And he said the gleam was never in his eyes. And he said, God, why? Why didn't you just allow me to die the moment that I gave my life to you? Why did you do this to me so that my parents would be destroyed for the rest of their life? And he said something that was telling, and I think it's exactly where Joseph is at. He said, God spoke to me, he said very clearly, he said, because it's not about you. It's not about you. And he said, it's about what I want to do in and through you. And I think about Joseph. Joseph had not considered what it is. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid. Look at what he says in his word. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't know where some of us are at today. For some of us, we are in the midst of things that absolutely scare us to death. I mean, think about what is uh, Friday night, Beck and I, just going out to eat with a couple uh, in in Satin. And while we're eating, we finished up our meal, went down one floor to the sixth floor, and we're just finishing up ice cream. And as we were going down, you could see the guys with the black hoodies and the the masks on, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what have we got going on tonight? And sure enough, just the last spoonful of ice cream, thank the Lord, Last full and full full ice cream, you could hear the glass start to break and things starting hitting the floor. And it's like, okay, how do I get out of here now? I've never been faced with that in my life. How do I get out of this mall now when all this stuff is going on? And some of us, we face things that are going on in our lives that absolutely scare us to death. Maybe it is an issue with your child and you're wondering, what's going to happen if that child keeps going in this direction? Or maybe you're dealing with something with, your, with a spouse and you're wondering, is my spouse being faithful to me? Or you're thinking about a health issue that scares you to death. Or a financial issue. Or an employment issue. 
And in the midst of all that, you look at this message, do not be afraid. Go to the accounts and the narratives of the birth of Christ and watch to see how many times that little phrase shows up, do not be afraid. And you go back through the Old Testament and over 90 times in the Old Testament alone, God says, do not be afraid. Check me on that. He says, do not be afraid. And when God goes through the trouble throughout 39 books of the Old Testament and says, do not be afraid, I think he means it. And God is the one who stands above all that we go through in our lives. And in the midst of whatever it is that you are speaking or whatever is going on in your life, and he says, do not be afraid. All Joseph had was his sure and certain hope in God. And there will come times in our lives when all that we have is the sure and certain hope of God. We know that we know that we know that it was God who called us to do whatever it is that we've been called to do. And we move forward not in fear, but in absolute faith. He says, don't be afraid. There's a second reason for the fear. In a small town, what did Joseph do for a living? He was a carpenter. When shame is brought upon somebody, it's not just brought upon the individual. If Joseph takes Mary into his home, how much business do you think he's going to receive for the rest of his life? God's saying, I can take care of you, Joseph. And I wonder how many God would be saying that to this morning. I can take care of you. I can take care of your kids. This morning the Lord led me to just pray, to pray for my kids. Um, that's one of the hard things about being in Hong Kong in the holidays is that our children will all be together and they said, Dad, call us on this day at this time. We're all going to be together. We're all going to be having supper and um, let's wish. And, I, and you know, this morning I was, God led me to just pray and, you know, just to, God, you're the one who can take them into your arms. You're the one that can speak into their lives. God, you're the one that you can take care of them. Even last night as Beck and I walked and prayed for the service this morning, we just, I just reminded God again, and I told you a few weeks ago we did this, just reminded God again, God, we brought these children to you when they were very young, and we dedicated them to you. They're yours. Will you please take care of them? Will you please watch over them? Will you please protect them? God is the one who says, I can take care of you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Joseph, God said to him, he said to them, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is God's doing. This is God's doing. Why are we here in Hong Kong? This is God's doing. Why are you here where you're at? This is God's doing. God doesn't do things just haphazardly. God doesn't just say, eh, I, I, I think I'll bring Brian from New Zealand and I'll, I'll introduce him to Erica. And, uh, God, no, no, no. God had something in mind for them. Remember that, Erica. God had something in mind for this couple. God has something in mind for you. He doesn't do things just willy-nilly. He has a plan in his life. And that's why he does the things that he does. And God had a plan. God was in this. And he says to her, this son, this son, um, it'll be, she'll give birth to a son. He'll be born just like all of us were born. Think about that. God incarnate. 
Second person of the Trinity, born, coming through the loins of a woman, being born, just like every single one of us was. How more vulnerable can anybody be than when they are a newborn child? How precious. And God saying, this is my gift to you. My precious son. He will be like you in every way. He will hurt. He will laugh. He will cry. He will have the same emotions as you. He will be born to you. But it says he will save his people from their sins. That's interesting when it says he will save his people from their sins. He came full of grace and truth, John 1 says. He came full of grace and truth. He came because we needed a Savior. We couldn't get to heaven on our own. He came, he says, he came to, um, what is, he came to save his people from their sins. His people from what? From their sins. It was my sins that put him on the cross. It was for our sins that he came. It was for everyone's sins that he came to this world. It says in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we have been healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This young child would not just be a boy, but he would be the Messiah. He would be the one who would take the sins of the world. Isn't it interesting? When John the Baptist in John 1.29, when he sees Jesus for the first time, when he sees Jesus and he points him out to the disciples, what does he say? Behold what? The Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. That's why he came. It's interesting that he says that. In Hebrew, there is a word called the Azazel. The Azazel, Azazel simply means scapegoat. Every year, when you think about honor and shame, who's going to remove the shame? And when you think about honor and shame, every year, the high priest on, on Yom Kippur, the, the, the holiest day, he would take two goats, and on one of the goats, he would sacrifice. He would slit the throat of the goat, and he would take the blood from that goat, and he would put it upon the altar, thereby signifying that the sins of the, of the people, the Jewish nation, the sins of the people, any sins committed in the temple, any sins by the high priest, they were taken care of. They were forgiven. Once a year they did that, one goat. The second goat, he was to be taken, and the high priest would again stand before all the people, and he would place his hands upon that head of that goat, and he would transfer all of the sins of the nation upon that goat. And there was another time, too, when there was a king who was upon a cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that brief time, God did what? He placed all of the sins, our sins, upon his sacrificial lamb. Jesus didn't become sin. That's a huge one. In the same way that that goat didn't become sin. It represented, he took on all of the sins of the nations. And when Jesus, when the Father places his hands upon his Son, and transfers all of the wrath of God upon his Son, and all of the sin of all mankind upon his Son, in that moment Jesus said, it's finished, it's done. 
And God pays the price. Who will take away the shame? Jesus took away the shame. He took away the shame and the guilt that we bear upon the cross. He took away the sin. He paid for your sin. I don't know what it is that we carry in here. Because some of us, we come in here on a Sunday morning, and we got the happy face on, we got the Sunday morning clothes on, but in our hearts we're just wrenched. Because there's things going on in our life, and they think, no way can God forgive me of our sins. No, think about this. He already has. We come to him and we say, God, forgive me. And he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He did that, but he not only forgave your sins, but he took away the guilt as well. And some of us, while Christ may have forgiven our sins, we have not forgiven ourselves. We've not asked and not realized that God not only has taken the sin away, but he's also removed the guilt. And for some of us, we carry the guilt of the things that we've done. And you know who's good at reminding us of that? Not your wife, okay? The one who's really good at reminding you of that is the enemy. He loves to bring back to your mind those things that you've said, those things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made. Listen, God's greatest gift to you this Christmas season is hope. Hope, absolute hope, in the precious Word of God that He has forgiven you of all of your sin and taken all of your guilt away. Amen? Amen. That's what Christ did for us at the cross. Who will remove the shame? And it says when Joseph had considered this, or when Joseph woke up, It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. I love the story, the account of Mary and Joseph. Because on one hand, Mary is asked, Mary, I got an assignment for you. But it is an assignment that's going to carry you for the rest of your life. And when Simeon, when Simeon has the little baby in his arms, remember last week we talked about Simeon? What I didn't get to was Simeon says, this is what's going to happen with this child. And he ends with this. And uh, What? A sword will pierce your heart as well. A sword will pierce your heart. Mary, you're gonna, you're gonna, this is what's going to go on. You're going to be, you're going to have the honor of carrying the Christ child. But there's also going to be some pain along with it. And it's not just going to be for a little while. It's going to be for your life. And Mary says, let it be unto me, you said, I'm your servant. Joseph didn't say anything. Joseph just did. Good man, isn't he? A lot of times, we, women, we got to say something. Guys, just do it. God said it, all right, let's just get out and do it. And he did it, though. It says, when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. What was he commanded to do? Take Mary home. Take Mary home at your wife. But here's where you see the righteousness of, of Joseph coming out. What does it say? He took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. That's integrity. That's class. This is the type of man that Joseph was. He deeply loved her. But he did not just deeply love her. He loved God. And he honored what it was. And he chose to honor what it was that God had called him to do. That's huge. We can say that we love God till the sun goes down. But how are we doing and acting upon what it is that God has called us to do? 
He said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He's the one who honors me. And Jesus or Joseph honored the father by doing what it was that the father had asked of him to do. He took her home and he gave Jesus the name that God had said. And against all earthly wisdom, he believed God and put his hope in God to care for him. Joseph had nothing else but a certain hope in God, and God did not disappoint. I love what Hebrews chapter 13 says. So we say with confidence. So we say with confidence. Just read up to verse 7. Would you read that with me? So we say with confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Okay, okay. All right, you didn't listen. I said just up to verse 7. So we say with what? Where is it today you need to have that confidence? God has said it, and I believe it. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. For Joseph, he had no other recourse. When Joseph goes to Bethlehem, he brings Mary with him. Why? She didn't need to go all the way to Bethlehem. And can you imagine, ladies who've had a child, what that must have been like to either walk or be on the back of a donkey for 90 miles? Uh And yet she went. Why? I don't think it was safe for her to be in Bethlehem. Remember that whole thing of shame. They don't understand. But she goes with him. The Lord is my helper. And when Joseph goes, he takes her with him. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your life is in God's hands, isn't it? Men can do a lot of things to you. But ultimately, your soul, if Christ is your king, if Christ is your savior, your soul is safe. You will live on for eternity. But you will live on in eternity in one of two places, and that place will be the place of your choice. God has given you that option. The Lord is my helper. And you are eternal. You are immortal until such, you know, people can take the body, but they cannot take your soul. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Where do you need to apply that to your life today? I wonder if Joseph didn't get some of his example from Abraham. Let me just read a few and then we're done. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. What? Even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham, leave your father and your mother and your, and your homeland and all that you know and go to the place that I will show you. He doesn't even have a clue. But he goes. Abraham had the sure and certain hope in God. And sometimes that's all that we have. But God says that's all that you have because I'm all that you need. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 11. By faith Abraham even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren was enabled to become a father because what he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And I love this Romans 4:18. This is speaking about Abraham, but I wonder if it also doesn't speak about Joseph. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. The hope that we have is not a hope, so not a, okay, I, I wish. 
It is an absolute no-so. And which for some of us, we stand at that place where it is a crisis of belief. Did God say what he said? And do I believe that God is leading me in this direction? And if so, what is it that I will do next? And for some of us, we stand at that place. All we have is that sure and certain hope that God has spoken, that God has said from his word, this is what I want of you. And when we face that crisis of belief, it requires two things on us. What are those things? Remember? Faith. I heard someone. What's the second one? Uh, Action. Action. Both Mary and Joseph had faith, but then they went and did what it was that God called them to do. Absolutely trusting and believing that God was the one who was leading them. And you know, they didn't just walk through a difficult time for a few days. They carried this for the rest of their life. But God said, I will be with you. I won't forsake you. I won't leave you. Hold on with me, guys. I'm almost done. We'll be done in two minutes here. So today, where are you at with, with what's been spoken through this series about hope? Because the God that we serve, he says, we have this hope as what? As an anchor, firm and secure. The hope that you have in Christ doesn't go away. Remember, we talked about in that first week that hope came as a child. Hope came in the darkest of times. Hope, the hope that, and the God that we serve deeply cares about you. The hope that we, the God that we serve is mighty. The hope that you have is eternal. And the hope that you have brings peace, lasting peace into your life. As we progress into Christmas in a couple of days, God's gift to you is his hope. That's God's gift to you. And what is it that you're putting your hope? I hope it's, I hope it's in Christ and what it is that he said. But what are those things that God would be saying today? You need to trust me. It doesn't make sense, but I have spoken and I've showed you and this is what I'm asking you to do. Will you trust me and will you believe me? And then will you move in faith and do what I've said? Let it be unto me as you've said. He woke up and he did. Those are the examples from Mary and Joseph today. Amen? Amen. Precious Father in heaven, thank you for each one here. And God, I honestly believe that there are, for some of us today, you spoke and you said, do not be afraid. And honestly, God, there are things that they scare us. How are we ever going to how are we ever going to pay for this? What's going to happen with my child at uni? What's going to happen with my job? Am I going to be outsourced? What's going to happen? And God, we for some of us, we're we're scared. And Lord, I believe with all of my heart this morning that you speak into hearts that are afraid and you say, do not be afraid. And for some of us here this morning, that's what we need to take away. We need to put our absolute faith and trust that God is who he says he is and that he can take care of you. He can take care of your spouse. He can take care of your children. 
He can take care of you in the midst of whatever it is that you're walking through. And maybe today you reach out and you say, God, I need, I need that. Take it from me. Receive it from me. For others of you, this morning as we speak about guilt, the enemy brought up all kinds of junk. Stuff that's happened in your life that God has said, I've, I've forgiven that. But the enemy just keeps bringing it back. Today, stand before the Lord who is your Savior and simply say, God, thank you for removing the guilt. And on this day, you may want to write that down in your Bible, but on this day, I know that I know that I know that the guilt of what has happened has been taken away by Christ. And stand in that absolute faith and trust. And for some of us as well, we stand at a crossroads. We know that God has spoken. We know what it is that God has said to us. And we need to move. We need to do what it is that God is calling us to do. He is the one who said, I will be your helper. I will take care of you. I will take care of the details. You move in faith. Father, I thank you for the sure and certain hope that we have in Christ. And God, even in our, in our city, we, we have that sure and certain hope, but there's sure a lot of stuff going on around us that we don't understand. And God, I just pray, you're the Lord of this city. And God, I pray for your precious hands of peace to be over this city. That in this Christmas, you would bring hope. There's so many looking for hope. And precious Father, would you bring hope? Would you shine the light into the darkness? And would you, as the Prince of Peace, precious Jesus, bring not just momentary peace, but eternal peace? Father, I pray the blessing of your hand over each and every one of these precious ones. For some, they will head out and go on holiday. We pray safe journeys. Pray for blessed times with family. Pray that they laugh until their sides hurt. I just pray that the time that they have will just be precious. And God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to present truth again on Christmas Eve. And I just pray the blessing of your hand over that service. Go with each one of us now, wherever it is that we leave and go to today. Watch over and protect your flock, Father. In the precious name of Jesus, amen, amen. May the grace and the mercy and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, our sure and certain hope, may that be yours this week. And we look forward to seeing you back on Christmas Eve. The Lord bless you. Amen. Have a great week.